are back for episode two. We're back of the Spot Burn Podcast, brought to you by Musky Fool. You got your host Josh, aka Bam Bam, and Dan. We uh, we're still doing it. We haven't been cut off yet. We're still here, and hopefully, you're still here too. Probably not. But anyway, uh, we're going to talk about. Um, believe it or not, it's a it's a topic you probably don't expect from us. Why do we musky fly fish? And what are some myths that we need to bust about musky fly fishing? I did not see that coming. Oh, my God. Blue go fool. We're going crazy. But before we do that, let's talk about our sponsors. We got two incredible sponsors. They have hooked it up. Uh, they're believing in what we're doing, and we're incredibly excited about what they offer. First, we got Cortland Line Company out of Cortland, New York. They make some awesome, innovative fly line for really everything, from Euronymphing to trout fishing to bass fishing and of course they have a really sweet specialty series of musky fly line it's incredible they also make some really good conventional line as well go check them out go give them a bunch of support uh they're they're huge and they've been they've been uh they've been helping us out we love their stuff and secondly we got stealthcraft boats uh out of baldwin michigan uh, they got, they're the real deal as far as boats go. They got a full lineup, some of the best boats we've used and been in. We've been in a lot of different stuff. Uh, Stealthcraft, they got, they got the goods. I mean, from hooligan rafts, jet boats, stealth welds, drift boats, you name it. What's your favorite Stealthcraft boat, Josh? Oh, boy. It's the 1872 Stealth Weld. It's built like an absolute tank. Shamala. Oh, boy. We can't get it. We'll talk about Shamal a bit later. She's Check them out, folks. It's what all the pros use for shout. Stealthcraft boats. We love it. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. Um, also, a couple things to plug. If um, you haven't heard already, there's a lot going on up here in Muskie Country this spring. Uh, events aplenty. We got, just to name a few, the film tour is going to be back in Madison. The Fly Tying Rendezvous. Musky School, you name it. Go check out our website, muskyfool.com. We got a full list of all the details for all those events and more. Uh, we'll also be talking about them all on Instagram and social media. But you're not going to want to miss it. There's literally going to be an event almost every weekend in March and April. It's going to get crazy. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Why do we musky fly fish? Have we lost our minds? Are we on to some secret hack that catches all the muskies? Neither, both. What is uh, what is it, Josh? This is the million dollar question. We yeah. were supposed to take the makers off the table, but it's oh, all it's bye. too late now. Might as well take a sip. Okay, here we go. All right, why do we musky fly fish? Maybe let's back up and just kind of dissect why do people musky fish in general? What's so compelling to chase the musky amongst other species, regardless of what state you're fishing in? Hmm. I mean, I think the classic, you know, you'll hear people, the, the, the eat, the size, the trophy, you know, I mean, they're, they're up here in Wisconsin, they're the, one of the biggest sturgeon probably get bigger, but the biggest predators, they devour things, they crush things. So they're pretty, they're pretty crazy that way, but that's not really it for me. I don't know about you. The fish of 10,000 casts. Yeah. The Some people call them the fish of 1000 casts. Does that ever bug you? You see that? And you're like, dude. Add a zero. What are you talking about? Yeah, sometimes they're the fish of three casts, though. You never know. Especially when you're on video with huge fly fishermen. <laughs> you you just never know. It's the lore. It's the mystique of it all. 
the the fact that you could you know you're fishing for a species that could be literally the fish of a lifetime at any given moment or a new world record or whatever have you it's it's going to take you by surprise and maybe that's what's most compelling for most folks yeah one uh, i mean for me personally it's kind of a few different things the lore is definitely one of them wasn't the first thing that got me hooked, but like the lore and drama and the culture in Wisconsin. We talked about this in the last episode, so I don't need to hit it too hard. But you can't really go very far in Wisconsin and not see them. You know, it's the state fish. It's uh, the bars, the roads. You know, you got the stories of Louis Spray and Cal Johnson. You got the Chippewa flowage. You got all sorts of history surrounding them. You got people talking about getting bitten by them. So they kind of... To be honest, I don't even know if it's cool to admit it, but they kind of still scare me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like when they eat, I, I I won't lie about it. When you get one of those like T bones out of nowhere, it's like holy, holy shit! Oh, it's very you know, startling. you're just like ooh. You get one next to the boat in a figure eight, and you're like, ooh, what was that? Oh my god! And most of the water that we're fishing is quite tannic, so it comes out very, of nowhere, very last second when you can see them. We're not. We're not getting the heads up in crystal clear water. It's just, boom, they're there. I mean, people used to get so scared of them, they had to shoot them. Yeah, that's true. Do you ever kind of want to still shoot one once in a while? Oh, yeah, every day. More out of, like, just, you know, you son of a motherfucking bitch. Just get a little little revenge, musky revenge. Yeah, it's fair. Dan, have you ever experienced any like commonalities between personality traits that you've experienced amongst folks folks that specifically target muskies? Yes. Like what are, what are the consistent personality traits of a of somebody who's totally committed to chasing muskies? Uh, I would say obsession is the first one. But like, it it kind of is like a nervous tick. Like you you. You're not just kind of fishing anymore. It's kind of like you talked about it before, the the, the deer bow hunters. Like, mm-hmm. It's like it kind of just envelops your whole identity. because Not because you of ego reasons, but because you literally can't stop thinking about it. You know, you haven't, you can't scratch the itch enough. You know, even if you caught 150 muskies in one year, which is would be an incredible year, and there are guys, a few guys out there that do it, you're still like, but I missed that one. Mm-hmm. Or there's a bigger one, or there's a, you don't figure them out, you know. You don't you don't just go to your spot and there they are, and there they are the next day, and oh, it's a new moon, and here we go, we're gonna get one today. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it, they're always kind of surprising you, and I think that's like when you bring it back to the personality traits, you got to be up for that. You know, you can almost introduce it to someone right off the bat and know. You know, you don't even not even introduce it to someone. You can kind of just read a person and be like, nope, they're gonna hate this. Yeah. Nothing bad about that. They're probably a much happier, productive, loving individual for not musky fishing. Yeah, they haven't managed to piss off their entire family and alienate all their friends. Exactly. And spend their wife's life savings on, (laughs) you know, wood ticks and suics and bucktail and whatever you may, you know. That's what's funny about the musky expo. We just got back from it and... Just the amount of, uh, like, don't tell your mother about this. Oh, yeah. She's going to kill you. Just, Nonstop. Yeah. Like, ugh. My wife's going to kill me. 
My family has no idea I'm here right now. No. <laughs> you kind of like at first when I first started to happen, it was like a little haha, it was funny. And now it's like, this is dark. There's a lot of parallels between heroin addiction and musky fishing, isn't there? We've talked about that in the past. It's like, it's <laughs> funny. And then it's also like, wait a minute, it's also very true. Am I just, well, thank God. Yeah. Thank God I don't have heroin in yeah. front of me. No all doubt. All over Wisconsin. Thank God. <laughs> Um, I also kind of hate them though. Don't you? Like you kind of like, not, not just, I don't think we just say that. I think you generally get to a point where you're like, they, this is, I always, I've talked about this before, but I don't know. And it might be my own personal bias because I'm in the musky Facebook groups and the musky whatever, but I don't know of another fish that drives a sane adult to the point of like, Screw it. I'm selling all my shit. I'm not doing this anymore. This is ruining my life. I'm, o- I'm over it. Like, muskies do that. You see it pretty regularly. Yeah. Like, I'm, it, I'm done. I'm getting rid of everything. Can't do it anymore. Yeah. Make me an offer. I'm sick of this stuff. It's ruining my life. Yeah, like, I'm broken. But if you can, if you can push past that, there's a lot of highs and lows. It's a huge emotional roller coaster, and that's mm-hmm. probably a big reason why... A lot of people are so intrigued and gravitate towards musky fishing is it's like it is so dang challenging that when the reward does come your way, it is totally worth it. Unlike any other species that we fish for, at least. And we're going to talk about a lot more than muskies, hopefully, if uh, this podcast doesn't get canceled. But um, at least we're musky fool. Like it's it's. You know, I think one of the cool things about them is they're not for everybody. They're just not. And that's not a slight at the people that don't fish for them. And uh, it, does, it doesn't matter. You know, pick your own thing, whatever you're obsessed about. Bull trout, salmon, steelhead, trout, yep. bluegill, something that's not fishing. doesn't matter. But I think the people, it is interesting. Are you, like, th- there's a similarity whether you fly fish for them, whether you troll gear whatever it may be you fish for muskies and you kind of have that same underlying subconscious traits at least a few of them yep absolutely so what else we want to talk about especially as it relates to muskies on the fly is um there's a lot of myths i think you know there's a lot of misunderstandings about it why do we do it are we making it harder? Are we losing our minds even more? So we're going we're gonna to hit on, I think, five important ones that we probably all, if you musky fly fish, you've probably heard a few of these. Probably will continue to hear, hear a few of these. Um, I know we get them pretty regularly, just driving to gas stations and boat landings in Wisconsin. Um, so the first one, the first myth about musky fly fishing is that it's new. It's brand new. Brand spanking new. Nobody's been doing it. Musky Fool actually started it. I'll make it even bigger myth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. The biggest well, myth of them yeah. all. Then that's a dead wrong, right? Dead wrong. We'll probably hopefully show a little picture up here uh, for the folks on video. If not, you know, we'll, we'll make sure to link it in the bio of the podcast. But, like, uh, old as it comes. In fact, fly fishing is pretty much the original form of fishing. Back You go all the way back to ancient Rome. You know, we'll talk a little bit more about the history later, but it's old. And uh, there's been muskies in Wisconsin for a lot, probably longer than humans. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's old. It's, and we're not the first. We're not 
by any means, you know, anyone alive is not the first person to musky fly fish. It's, it's very old. It's very old, yep. There's uh, documented cases of what? Musky fly fishing even as far back as the 20s? That's the first I've heard. Um, there's some books written about it. Bill Shears talked about it. I got some pictures that I found about it. You know, bamboo rods and canoes. Um, uh, you know, I don't know that they were setting out to target them in the way, as with all things, we always evolve, improve, get more gear, more technology. But the fact is, it's very much not new. I think it's definitely uh, probably stayed under the radar for a long time, um, you know, for, for many reasons, mm. you know. Uh, it's, especially in this area of the country, fly fishing is not as popular as Bozeman, Montana, or Denver, Colorado, or, you know, even, you know, the United Kingdom and stuff like that. But, yeah, not new, folks. Not new at all. Nope. The only part that really is new is a lot of these companies now that are manufacturing specific rods, lines, reels, etc. for musky fly fishing, whereas before it was a lot of people kind of Frankensteining their way through saltwater type of gear to making it work for muskies. But it's become so popular and such an effective tool to pursue muskies with that these companies now are offering specific equipment for that purpose. Yeah, it's, I kind of, I'd have to really think on like when, when it really picked up. But it feels like Man, at least the last 10 years where it was like the musky rod, the, the musky line, you know, musky leader. Because before that, it was like predator stuff, mm-hmm. good for tarpon and musky. And if you know anything about either of those things, they're very, very different, they're incredibly different. They're just both big. <laughs> That's the only thing they really have in common. Uh, and I think lately, you know, the last three five seven years it's really picked up where it's musky specific mm-hmm. rods line you get a little bit of innovation in the like leader space and the leaders need innovation but like we've kind of established a good system uh we by just to clarify the greater musky fly fishing community um and flies i think flies is probably where it's changed the most like you look back in the 20 that picture i will hopefully be able to show um, you know, I mean, just basically taking any old fly, a little woolly bugger. Yep. And as we know, muskies will at any point eat anything. Um, so it's not by, not by coincidence that they ended up eating a, a black woolly bugger. They probably still would today, but that's probably what, I don't know what you think, but has really picked up in the last decade or decade plus, like musky fly innovation. Oh man, absolutely. Right now there are so many folks out there that are really pushing the envelope with innovation and all the different materials that are available between synthetics and naturals, uh, weird articulations, like the sky's the limit. The creativity is just mind-blowing of what's what's being created out there. And you, you have guys taking, and girls, taking the pursuit to different water bodies. I think when you see how it started out, you know, the rivers... Um, you know, some of those early popular patterns, right? You got Popovic's Beast, you got Bowen's Buford, Blaine's Game Changer. You know, they're 
mm, I'm not offending any one of them, I don't think, but the, at least the last two mainly fishing on rivers mm-hmm. or muskie. Um, and, you know, you take that game to the lakes, you take that game to New York, to tiger muskies in Utah, to Lake of the Woods in Canada, and it changes. And I think the cool thing is there's, like, so much room to go. We are, you know, and if you look at our toolbox compared to, a, you hear my little gurgle burp there? <laughs> what happens when you drink a few beers? But when, uh, you know, you compare our toolbox to a modern conventional gear angler's toolbox, I mean, they're almost overwhelming. Mm-hmm. They got flap tails and... 10 to 12 different kinds of top water baits. There's six different, 20 different kinds of big rubber, uh, blades, triggers, offset, all sorts of stuff. And we got, you know, flies that swim side to side, flies that make <laughs> noise on the top, flies that are kind of like jigs. And am I missing anything? I think that's kind of, a, you know, maybe the ones that just swim straight back to the boat. But yeah. Like, we don't have a lot of tools. We got a hammer and nail. They got a screwdriver, an automatic, uh, you know, Milwaukee uh, impact driver. They got a chainsaw. They got all sorts of crazy shit, and we got a hammer. Well, maybe that's what separates us. It's more about the motion in the ocean. The motion in the ocean. Like, I mean, that's what it all boils down to at the end of the day, and, and one of the core principles of fly fishing is the presentation. So we don't have all of these gadgets to make all these different you know, weird presentations to a fish. So it's up to us to hunt those flies, Mm -hmm. to retrieve them in a certain manner that looks erratic, looks like a dying bait fish because we're limited to the movements that, you know, the possibilities of flies. I don't, I'm not really going anywhere. No, I think you're right. I think like it also, in some senses, it's, we can do all of that in one cast too. Maybe, maybe you know, not the noise like blades, but You can pause it for an ungodly amount of time. Yep. You can strip it really fast, stop it again, twitch it side to side, hover, you know, like all in the 50, 60 feet of one cast. Exactly. So, yeah, you can change things up a lot more where the gear guys, maybe they're just reeling in baits all day. You get into that methodical grind of um, just cranking this bucktail in, but the fly guys, they're like, Okay, I'm going to do a double-handed retrieve. I'm going to speed it way up. Now this next cast, I'm going to do three quick strips followed by a very long pause and try all sorts of different stuff. And you're totally tied to that fly with all of your instincts and the way that you're hunting it. Yep, which kind of brings us into myth number two, which we'll, we'll bring into here. But myth number two is that musky fly fishing only works in spring. We've probably heard this. Oh yeah, that that would probably work in spring in the shallow weeds. Yeah, and the myth is that yes, of course it does. It also works throughout the whole season. Yeah, we it, I think it we fly, really does. May, the season opens May sixth here in Wisconsin in the southern zone. It ends when you quit or when the ice comes, and uh, we fly fish the whole way through. It works the whole time. So when Dan says the southern stone, z- southern zone, folks. Our state is divided in half by Highway 10. Yep. So we have the southern and the northern zones. It's kind of like the south and the the union, or is it just like, is it just like angry musk? What? How? Why? Why is that the case? Do we know? I don't know. 
Hopefully no. someday it'll <laughs> just be one zone. One zone. I wish we could all come together and be one zone. No, it has something to do, I believe, with, you know, we're a long state. It's colder up in the north, warmer down in the south. We have a lot of native water up in the north. Um, so we're trying to preserve the spawning seasons. You know, if you if you look at, like, the Madison chain, which is one of the southernmost fisheries in the state, those fish really do start spawning a little bit earlier than the fish all the way up in, you know, like Ashland. So yep. it does make a little bit of sense, but it also feels funny altogether sometimes because they're muskies. And uh, who, who, who are we to know when they're ready to do their deed? But anyway, back to the myth. It only works in the spring. Dead wrong. Um, it never works. Right? <laughs> totally. That's why we're here. <laughs> no, I think, you know, we, we're we going to talk about a little bit of the tactics throughout the season, but it's it's musky fishing. They we're, we're not, at the end of the day, doing a lot of things differently than gear anglers. We might think we are, but we're putting it in front of where muskies live, hoping that a hungry musky or a pissed-off musky attacks it. And the fact of the matter is you have muskies in springtime, which in Wisconsin starts in early May in the southern zone, late May in the northern zone, coming post-spawn. So just after they're doing the deed, through the warm-up into summer, as their metabolism increases, they recover from spawn, they start to spread out in their systems, they get hungry, you know, and I'm generalizing here, but then all the way into fall when... You know, they start their habitat, their habits change and they put the feed bag on as it's often referred to. Like they're eating stuff all year long. Therefore, we, of course, can get them on flies from a very logical standpoint. Yeah. What about, you know, tell me a little bit about like just from your perspective. We, we tend to uh, you and I fish. We I mean, we fish together a lot. We fish similar stuff. But I think most of the time I'm we fish. We recognize, like, you're fishing definitely more rivers than I'm fishing, and I'm fishing definitely more lakes than you probably are. I'm in the southern zone. You're in the northern zone. So kind of interesting to talk about how we both approach the season tactic-wise from spring to fall, if you, if you want to kick us off there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not different than anything else. Uh, the general rule of thumb in the spring is you want to go a little bit smaller with your fly presentation and whatnot. Um, and then in the summer, as the waters heat up a little bit, you're, you might be moving more into a top water presentation. You're going to be doing a lot faster retrieves and whatnot. And then in the fall, when things are kind of slowing down, the water temps are dropping, their metabolisms are, are kind of slowing down just a little bit. And they're looking for that big meal. That's going to get them through those long winter months. You want to really slow things down. You're going to put on those big old flies, those big gliders that are becoming super popular. So you're kind of dif- differentiating your approach based on the season. And then same with uh, whatever you're fishing too. You know, like if you're fishing small rivers where you're waiting for muskies, it's, it might be a different approach than if you're fishing a gigantic lake and whatnot as well. Yeah, and no, you also said something in there, which I think your first comment was a general rule of thumb, which is always the beauty of musky fishing. Yeah. You know, if you go out all spring and only use a small fly, you know, I, it's not going to always work. Mm-hmm. Big flies work, too. You see a lot of, you know, again, let's look at the gear anglers. There's more of them 
catching more muskies, so there's a bigger data set. They're using big rubber. They're using big, like, I think that's what kind of gets us into that first why do we muskie fish is there is no exact science. Yeah, we always, I don't know, it's always a good approach to start with the general yes. rule oh, of thumb. totally agree. And then totally from agree. there, if like, that's not working, start thinking outside the box. Okay, it's spring. We just said the general thumb is to go small. We're not getting anything. Let's double down and go gigantic. Yep. And, and you know, chances are you'll see something. Maybe you'll, you'll get an interaction at least, and yep. you'll learn something. That's the beauty of it. Every season you learn something new, and it's probably going to contradict the rule of thumb. And, and they sometimes even contradict last season. Yep. I think another interesting thing related to that is um, – I, at least how I approach it is the only thing I can really control at the end of the day is try to put myself in a position to fish where muskies are. Mm-hmm. Are they hungry? Are they going to eat the purple fly or the pink fly? I, you know, a lot of that's out of my control. So breaking down the seasons, I thought that'd be kind of interesting to just quickly go through like general rule of thumb again. Man, that beer. Making me gassy over here. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, where are they? So I think spring lakes, and I'll maybe cover lakes a little bit. You want to chime in with rivers? but Yes, sir. Looking at the Wisconsin strain, at least mainly here in Wisconsin, believe it or not, uh, you know, we are they, they are moving towards those shallow weeds, the warmest part of the lakes. Um, if you've ever seen... I think a great example of musky behavior in spring. Now, we don't have, per the DNR, uh, natural reproduction happening at a, at a big volume here in Madison, but we do have a pretty unique event in spring. In April, you see a lot of the fish in the system swimming up Winger Creek to the Winger Dam, trying to jump the dam. You've probably seen this video on, uh, on YouTube or something, or you've been down to the Winger Dam and effectively, what those fish are doing when you zoom out is Wingra is the shallowest, you know, body of water on the chain. It warms up the fastest. It's full of shallow weeds. Those fish are, whether or not they know it, they're trying to go there to spawn. That's just what they're biologically programmed to do, and that's why they're trying to literally jump a piece of concrete to get into that lake. It's warmer. It's got the habitat where they feel comfortable you know, trying to do the deed. Um, as they get off of that mode and they kind of go through the spawn of, like I said, roughly April, um, you know, and they, they get into their post-spawn mood, they're kind of in recovery. They can still be a little lethargic. You know, generally, I think, depending on how warm or late or cold the, the spring and winter is, we're either going right into the spawning areas, you know, you've can find those fish readily still kind of post-spawn in the shallow weeds on the, you know, north ends of the lake or on the warmer spots in the warmer bays of the lakes. And then you're kind of reading the situation, you know. If they're not really there, oftentimes you might find a few fish following but not eating. You're kind of, okay, well, they just came from that spot to spawn, so maybe they're right over here, the spot next to the spawning grounds or the spots near the spawning grounds. They haven't fully spread out into their kind of classic summer haunts on kind of your big pieces of structure. Um, and I'm, t- again, talking about lakes, right? So when I say big pieces of structure, those are the areas they're going to 
pretty much occupy in the the peak of summer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you kind of follow them. Effectively, you're following them around all year. And, you know, you get to the post-spawn leads into summer, and now we're really targeting those big weed edges, those windblown points. If you got rocks in your system, you know, really, I mean, you can almost look at a map and trust your intuition and circle the spots. Like, well, that looks crazy. There's a huge drop-off. You got weeds over there, shallow. There's deep water over here. You know, it's you hear a, a deer hunter talk about good buck spots, and it's like, yeah, it's the ones with all the stuff mm-hmm. close by. Uh, the biggest fish in the system, they want all the stuff. Um, and then we follow them kind of back into their fall spots, which we'll get into a little bit. But, like, I think back into that myth of, like, it only works in spring, it's like, no, it absolutely doesn't. Um, at least on lakes, I think it's a really good tactic to just really try hard to find where the muskies are at that point. That's the one thing you can control. A little bit different on rivers, though. They're always moving. Water levels are always changing. Talk about that, Josh. Yeah, that is a, that's a fickle beast for sure, and it changes year to year. Um, and river to river, absolutely. So like Dan was saying, our season opens up – uh, if you're in the southern zone, early May, northern zone, late May, early June-ish. So these fish are post-spawn. So they're probably going to be adjacent to what was previously their spawning grounds. So I'm talking about some slack water pools that are probably close to a lot of like uh, runs or like riffly areas, some rapids and stuff like that. They're still going to be in the shallows. And these fish are going to be aggressive because they're all famished from the, the spawning season. So these fish are, are typically very uh, active. They're going to be very aggressive in that early season, and June has been a fantastic month to bag some really great fish, at least in Wisconsin. Uh, July gets a little bit trickier sometimes. You know, uh, this is a good opportunity, though, where if you ever want to get into some top water action – July is your month, big time. And there's going to be some bruises that are hitting top water. So don't be afraid to fish top water um, in your normal spots like that. But also, they're going to be hiding in the rapids a lot because there's the water is going to be very hot. There's going to be a lot of oxygen in those rapids. And, you know, when I first started fly fishing or fishing in general, I was always like weary about throwing a top water bait through rapids. But to the contrary, Drag that sucker right on through there. You're going to get a lot of explosive activity. August is pretty much the same thing um, as July, depending on year to year. It's still gonna, it's still a pretty hot month. Um, and then as the fall starts to kick in, things are going to you know change just a little bit. They're probably not going to be in those rapid areas anymore. They're going to go back to those shallow area, areas a little bit or some like uh, slower, deeper water areas, and you're going to fish a lot deeper. Um, and then as the, the year goes on into October, November, a lot lot deeper, a lot slower, bigger flies are, are going to be very effective. And, uh, yeah, you're just following the seasons with it you all. You also have, a, like, at a broad stroke level, you just have these weird, and this, I think, applies to both lakes and rivers. In spring and fall, I think why it gets maybe a little bit of a misconception that it's easier is because muskies are more concentrated together. Mm-hmm. 
whereas in summer they spread out, despite the fact that in summer their metabolism is peaking. You know, Jeff Vandermortel talks about this. If a musky fly anglers out there listening don't know who that is, he's not a fly angler, but he knows a lot about muskies. You should go check him out. Check him out. Plug in Jeff. Um, you know, he talks about that peak summer and how, you know, historically, not just his clients and his fishery, but sees some of the biggest fish come onto the biggest pieces of structure in summer. Um, now, they're generally can be a lot more spread out because there's a lot more water. The water temperatures are more consistent throughout the system. You have bait fish spreading out throughout the system. But in spring and fall, you know, they're concentrated. You know, that also kind of can mean, you know, in summer, I feel like there's this, it's tough because you can fish everywhere mm-hmm. and there could be a muskie there. Uh, as in fall, you can fish a lot of spots that are bad. There's just nothing there. And we've felt that where I think, especially without electronics, we're starting to use a lot more of those as fly anglers. But without them, I mean, you can spend a lot of time fishing. No, there's just nothing there. Mm-hmm. And that's because in fall, they might they might not be in that deep pool. They might be in the next deep pool, or they might have moved the this weed edge instead of that weed edge. Um, but they're concentrated a little bit more, which if you spend the time to find them, you can get on a little bit better program. Yep. Dan, before we move on, one common question that I hear a lot is, what kind of colors are you using? Everyone's obsessed with colors. Oh, Does it make should. that big of a difference? Or we should what? honestly have a whole fucking episode we, about this. I, I know we should. And we don't have to dive that deep into it, but... Wisco flame, I, that's I, the only color you should use. Are there, <laughs> are there any tips for folks out there uh, that are looking for... For advice on colors? I think we should dive into this more deeply and bring in some scientists. So I'll withhold a lot of like my honest opinions. But I think generally I'll say two things. Okay. Matching the forage of the system and in combination fishing something you are confident in and like, you can't go wrong. And if that means you're fishing in Madison and you're fishing cool bluegill perch patterns, I think... You're on the, like, do it. Fish it hard. Hunt it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also love pink in Madison. I don't know why. I have not seen a lot of pink fish swimming around. Um, me neither. But it's worked. It's caught a couple big ones for me and Jen, and I'm going to keep fishing pink. I have no reason to, like, I don't have any reason. I don't have a, a cool, this is what it looks like to muskies. And <laughs> No, I... I, I think a lot of it is confidence. If your buddy is telling you you should fish black and you put black on and you just like, you can't even stare at it, you won't even figure eight it, you just hate it, get rid of that shit. Take it off. Put something on that you like looking at because that's, that's what matters. Okay. And um, if what helps you like that fly is, well, yeah, I saw a bunch of suckers. I should try a sucker colored. Cool. I, the fact, of, uh, and I don't want to get too deep into this, I already feel myself doing it, is like, I don't know what muskies look, what they see. I see a sucker that's kind of got reddish, orangish fins with a brown body and a white underbelly, but like, I'm a human above the water in a boat with polarized sunglasses on. I don't know what muskies see, you know? So I think uh, little my at least thought is like, it doesn't totally matter that much, but we'll get into that more. Get into yeah. it more. I know what color you love, though. I thought I would just touch on it just a little bit just yeah. to get some insight. Newsflash, color any. might not matter as much as we think. Yep. 
But yeah, more to come. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna touch any more of that. Good, okay, good. We're gonna, we just said we wouldn't do it, and then I just rambled for about five minutes about it. But you know, I did we're ask learning, you the folks. question, so I wanted to hear what you had to say. <laughs> it's episode two. We're learning. Uh, myth number three. This myth is my favorite. Three. This is one of my favorites. All right. Musky fly fishing only works for small fish. False. False. Wait, what do you consider a small fish? Uh, we're in Wisconsin, so anything less than fifty-five. <laughs> Fair. I'll give you that. <laughs> no, I think like you know, it gets that rep. You 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 talk to uh, your your gear angling buddies, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's cute. You guys catch a few thirty inchers on the river." It's like, "Well, yeah, that's possible," but it's not just a uh, you know small little three inch streamer catching you know small muskies. Let's I think I think it's. That might have been where it kind of started with people accidentally catching them. But, yeah, let's talk about that. Should we just spot burn this whole myth about small muskies in general? Any muskie that you catch is phenomenal, and it's super yes. fun. Honestly, uh, have you ever caught on a fly a muskie under 20 inches? Yes, last year. How many? Like in your lifetime? One. Well, exactly. And how many have one. you caught over 45 inches? You don't have to say exactly, but more than one, I think. More than I can remember at yes. this point. So actually, maybe what we should be looking for is the true trophies are the, those 18 inches. Those are tough. Right off the stocking truck. Yeah. I think that the general rule of thumb, again, is a trophy is what? 46 inches? Kind of in that class, 46, 48 inches? Upper 40s. Yeah. Minnesota guys would tell you uh, 55 plus. But, 50, 55 uh, plus. Yeah. Upper 40s, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a stoked. Honestly, though, like to your point, it, it, everything's relative. If you're on a small system and you catch a 38, it feels like a trophy. If you've gone a long time, I mean, we giggled our faces off at the first one I caught after the fly shop opened. Uh, it wasn't a, it was one of my, it was a tiny little feller, but they're just fun, enjoyable. They all eat different. They all act different. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hard to get. Uh, yeah, not going to lie and sit here and try to convince all our listeners and all three of them that like a 33, <laughs> a 33-inch muskie is as good as a 53-inch muskie. That's bullshit. Uh, but I think they're, they're all hard. They're all hard. If there's somebody out there who's on a program and they're like, yeah, we catch, you know, two dozen 30-inchers every time we go out. Uh, news to me. I've never experienced that in my life. Yeah, I'd love to experience that. That would be too. great. That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, they aren't scrumpers by any stretch of the imagination. Plenty of big old sows have been caught on a fly rod. Yeah, I mean, what's the, uh, you got the world record muskie on a fly, which was caught in the last 10 years by uh, owner Bob but, Mitchell's fly shop, Bobby, but, Bobby, Bobby Nachos. Nachos, a.k.a. Robert Hawkins. Yeah, he was he was in the boat with a couple of fishy dudes, too. That fish was 57 inches plus on Mill Axe, which is a huge body of water. Oh, my God. Um, you have, uh, I probably told this story 100 times. I'm going to tell it 100 more. You have a, a good friend of the shop, Nathan Yondel, who uh, caught in 2022 last year the biggest muskie caught on the Madison chain on a fly which like well is a crazy story in and of itself we'll show hopefully show a picture of that one here but you're we're here in madison we're an hour and a half from chicago we're 
an hour from Milwaukee. Big metropolitan areas. So burpy. You can feel it. But um, <laughs> you have a lot of people fishing this area. The secret's been out. It's not a secret anymore that Madison has some big muskies. Dare I say thousands of people are probably uh, fishing? I generally would say that like from May 6th to October, there is a muskie, at least a, uh, if not several dozen muskie fishermen per day. Weekdays, weekends, all the spots, all the time, all the baits, all the gear, suckers, trolling, blades, rubber, Man. and like really good muskie fishermen. I mean, the guy who is literally at the top of the Muskies Inc. lunge log, which if you don't know what that is, go sign up for Muskies Inc. It's a really good program. He is in the top of the master's division of all time. I'm 99% sure a guy named Jeff Hansen uh, catches a lot of muskies. He doesn't go much farther than Madison. So we got a lot of muskies here, but we also have a lot of muskie fishermen doing a fishing well, good fishermen. He's Jeff, not alone. There's a bunch of other ones, Lee Tauschen and Brad Nelson and lots of, lots of guys. Hundreds, thousands of them that use gear. I'm pretty sure if I had to, you know, put, you know, name all of the fly anglers in the Madison area on the Madison chain, I don't think there's 12, including me, Jen, folks that work at Muskie Fool, friends that we know. Like, I don't, I, I, if I'm wrong, let's submit your, submit yourself to the podcast, you know, you know. Yeah. And we don't fish it that often. We're not out there every day. And the biggest fish last year, 53-inch leech laker caught on a fly. On Anecdotal. But with how many gear anglers there are, how many fly anglers there are, how many hours are spent with baits, how many hours are spent with flies, it makes you wonder. You know, it, it makes me kind of selfishly confirm a thesis that I had, which is this really works oh, yeah. on pressured fisheries. I'd well, say that myth is busted big time. Yeah, it's a pretty fish, too. The other little plug that is cool about that fish is... Um, you know, what Madison's got going on is a lot of different things with the musky world that we'll, we'll also be hopefully be able to talk about later. But um, it's a Leech Laker, a big one. Um, and we're, as the Cap Cities Musky Club, we're trying to stock those fish or Great Lakes fish in addition to Leech Lake fish. That's all kind of up in the air um, right now. But for a good reason, we think they get bigger. And mm -hmm. uh, to see that big old. Oh, it was just a brute of a fish. Uh, it gets you excited that what, what's going on is working. So it's just one fish, but, you know, it's a good sign. Quick question. Yeah. About that fish. When, what time of year was that caught? Not spring. And what kind of fly was it caught on? Ooh, good. Two good questions. May I say leading the witness? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was the day before Thanksgiving, I believe. Okay which is November, late season. Um, just to bust a couple other big musky myths. No wind, windless day, clear blue skies. You can see it in the picture. Um, and it was on, I believe Nathan even talked about going through his fly box a little bit. I mean, they were fishing all morning and into, into afternoon, and it was uh, like an articulated 9-inch orange Buford. You know, none of this crazy glider shit, no top water, no secret fly. I mean, you can see the picture right on his Instagram. Dang. It wasn't a huge fly, huge profile. Uh, you know, it, it 
Man. Pretty standard stuff. Dang. Yeah. I mean, that's another myth in and of itself. I would agree. I would agree. Big flies, big fish. Not all the time. Not all the time. Not all the time. What do we got next here, though? Uh, so we got myth number one, two, and three. Myth number four. It musky fly fishing only works on lakes. Excuse me. I already fucked that up. <laughs> musky fly fishing only works on rivers and creeks. I think we probably, you've definitely heard this one, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, we literally just talked about the biggest fish in the medicine chain being on, lakes. on the lake. I know, but it's still funny how you, uh, you know, you'll tell people that you fly fish for muskies, and uh, I've heard it before, like, ah, oh, yeah, I don't really have any rivers around me. And I'm just, I, my brain kind of shorts out sometimes, because I don't fish, you know, I, I fish rivers later in life. Mm-hmm. Not when I started musky fishing. Not when I started musky fly fishing. My first mu- my first several muskies were on uh, lakes, on the fly, um, and I think maybe it's just that fly fishing association, which is what I, it sounds logical. But like you know, well, you fly fish on rivers. Mm-hmm. That's where you do it. Um, so of course, if we're musky fly fishing, then we're doing it on rivers, and um, you know, we'll put that one to bed pretty quickly. Just not the case. If the water is wet, if there's muskies in it, you can get them with a fly. You know, if and if it's deep, use deep sinking fly line. Add some weight to your flies. You know, if it's a small pond, you know, if there are muskies there, I if there are muskies there, let's just, I think this is fair to say. You tell me if I'm off, Josh. If there are muskies there, you can catch them on a fly at any point in the season. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Agreed. I mean, that's how we fish, ladies and gentlemen. I I definitely will not tell you I only fly fish for muskies because that would be a lie. I do use gear to learn fisheries uh, to help get my creativity going for fly designs and stuff like that. But if I had, you know, if I had to choose, if you told me I could never gear fish for muskies again, I wouldn't miss it. I wouldn't need it. It's not an essential tool in my box. Yep. Flies all day. Amen. Amen, brother. I started as a gear fisherman. I think you learn a lot. It makes you a well-rounded angler. You know, it makes you able to understand why this fly is doing the the thing it's doing, understanding why materials do different things as Mm -hmm. well. You just can't go wrong with it. I agree. Putting four myths to bed. What else here? Okay, last one. Um, and this one, honestly, of all the ones we've touched on, I think they're, we kind of laugh and, you know, what do you mean it only works in spring? But the last one, I think, actually is well-founded because it looks... So the last myth is that it's a lot of work and it's harder, physically more demanding than conventional musky angling. It, it makes sense mm-hmm. that people think that. But it's on the list as a myth because it's wholly untrue. I just, it's not harder, folks. We're going to get into it a little bit here quickly, but physically, mentally, at the end of the day, it's still musky fishing. So there's no secret super fast move that fixes how much muskies suck. But it's not harder. It's not harder. No, the... The the exact technique of the double haul casting motion, that might be a little bit of 
of work. Uh, there's a learning curve to that for sure, but different. It's different. Once you get that down, it's actually quite effortless. And as long as you're not throwing gigantic stuff that's totally, you know, out of proportion to your rod, it's not that big of a deal. It's no harder than hucking huge rubber baits all day just chucking bulldogs and stuff like that, that really beats up your shoulder. But you've talked about this too. I think there is, there is like a challenge. I, you know, I think it's, it's a, there's definitely a learning curve. Mm -hmm. You don't just pick up a rod and figure it out. Um, there's, there's definitely more hoops to jump through. There's more variables, you know, like, um, and I'm stealing some of some of your uh, your thoughts here, but I, I agree with them. Like you can't just walk into a Shields and buy a musky fly and a musky fly rod that works. But you can walk into Shields or Cabela's and get an awesome musky innovations bulldog and a rad Saint Croix rod and a Tranks reel and be like hooked up. Like, mm -hmm. Those are the moves. But you probably can't get that Tranks reel right now because they're back ordered. But other than that. <laughs> Um, you know what I mean? Like it's it's a little bit like you kind of have to navigate the fly fishing world on your own and peel back some of the layers on your own. Yeah, that make it seem harder. It's definitely not as straightforward either. Like if for sure, if someone was like, oh, someone that knew nothing about fishing, they're like, okay, so you have a rod, some line, and a lure, right? Well, with fly fishing, it's like you have a rod, a reel, backing line, butt section tip it, bite guard, fly, and all these other weird va variables. Are we using a floating line? Are we using a full intermediate, a sink eight? What does that even mean? All this weird <laughs> mumbo jumbo. And like you're saying, like you, you can walk into a Shields. It's a lot more accessible or like whatever, one of your major sporting goods stores, and it's a lot more accessible. You just pick something on the shelf and you just start hucking it with uh, fly fishing and at least the appeal for me and a lot of other folks is like, it's so much immersive. Like we're obsessing over the fibers and the flies and the shape and the texture of it all and the colors and whatnot and tying our own stuff. So it's, it's so much more rewarding when we're able to actually bring that fish to the net because we had to jump through a lot more hoops to actually get to that point. Well, and you, you also kind of hit these like limitations where like in gear, you can always just get a stiffer rod with bigger hooks and stronger line, you know, that's sometimes just purely overkill mm -hmm. and a bigger bait where we can't do that. I mean, our limitations in fly fishing for muskies is you're looking at it, our bodies. Yeah. You know, you can't ultimately get a rope to throw a 10-pound dumbbell, <laughs> you know, you and I think... That's kind of like this weird way of figuring it out where, I don't know, I don't want to like come off it as it never feels like this like high and mighty arrogance, but there's something about like the fair chase. I mean, no one's going to disagree that you said this, I think, in the previous one that like, yeah, more deer get killed with guns than bows, but the bow is, is a pursuit. The fair chase, there's reasons that bow hunters bow hunt and don't, yep. you know, go. And I think there's some, there's a similar thread there. Obviously not killing muskies to eat them and stuff like that, but uh, at least not not nowadays. But um, that challenge, you know, once you I think get over that though, I feel like most of us, at least who we fish with and 
people we take, we feel like we have just as good of a chance of getting one on any given Sunday than the next guy with gear. Absolutely. And, and as long as you're not maybe trolling with 10 lines out there, <laughs> but like, yeah, for the most part, you know, it's a very practical way to catch muskies and pursue them. And there's been several times where we have gear guys in the boat and the fly guys are out fishing them as well. And then, I mean, vice versa, if the muskies are hanging down low and trolling is a, is the best option, then what are we doing with fly rods in our hands? Yeah. But Well, or just spread out. We yeah. do have limitations, right? It's, it's tough to, I think, mentally. Like yep. we've, we've even experienced this with some customers in the shop or ourselves. I've felt this way when I started out. I mean, that's, that's the other thing that I think is worth noting is just like we don't, we don't I musky fished quite a bit and knew how all the baits worked and could cast the rods and could sucker fish. And I had to start over with fly fishing. Mm-hmm. And I was literally fishing hot pieces of garbage of flies like that I tied on my own that were just absolutely terrible came on you know the wire hook came off or the wire snapped from the articulated hook and it was just terrible 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 um so there is all that to learn but at the end of the day i think there's this like mental a little bit of like mental exhaustion like here i am with a fly rod on a four thousand acre lake I don't know where the muskies are right now. I don't know what they want to eat. I don't know what to do, and I'm going to fly fish for them. And it's like, yeah, I feel you, bro. Mm. Try something else. Go drive the boat around until you find them, or, you know, I don't know. But, like, not maybe the best way to get it. It can be a little mentally daunting. Yep. Needle in the haystack. A little bit. So that's where, you know, you got to, you got to, oh, it feels so terrible to say, but that's where I generally, maybe what brought, that awe and respect for me personally of fly anglers was they just they had to figure it out a little bit differently you know they were playing a different game you couldn't just go pound 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 it mm-hmm. you know you got a shorter striking distance shorter striking distance you gotta just like bow hunting just I, like I, just, bow hunting. I always bring you're it back right, to this metaphor right. Yep. Like, oh, and like a miss. I can miss. Within. I can kill a deer and kind of still miss with a rifle. Yeah. The bow, you know, you miss. It's the difference between maiming it, not shooting it, or killing it. Yep. A lot, like, lot less room for error, too. Like when, you know, you're, you're deer hunting in a big blizzard and maybe there's some snowflakes on your, your rifle or whatever, you still have a pretty good shot of blasting that deer. But if you're bow hunting in the blizzard and there's a couple snowflakes on your, your arrow rest, that could send your arrow off oh, yeah. in a totally different trajectory. And so, like, the room for error in musky fly fishing is so much smaller. And especially once you get into the really big fish, it just keeps dwindling. Well, yeah, because they just they make you screw up more, I feel like. Yeah. Just the nerves and the intimidation. And but- back... Oh, back to your point uh, about the gear. We're pushing this gear to our limits, and we can't just level up to bigger rods because we physically can't double haul them. The lines that we're throwing have a max of 50-pound test. Yep. And if you go bigger than that, it's too kinky. It doesn't coily. It doesn't throw a tight loop anymore. Like, it's just not that we won't figure it out eventually, but, like, it's just we hit ceilings. Exactly. Yep. 
It's interesting about uh, have you ever bow hunted? Oh yeah, definitely. You know that the first deer that I shot with a bow, I pulled back and uh, three times because my knock was completely like blacked out. Like I was like all like I got myself under control. Mm -hmm. I was breathing. He was perfectly. He was just like it all came together. It was the stupidest deer ever. It was just like right there, just ready to be. And I pulled back and I just couldn't see anything. Oh, it was no. all twisted. Let down, pulled back, still couldn't see anything. Let down, had to like manipulate it, pull back. Finally, just got it in the you know in the right spot, and then let the arrow fly. Uh, but like that little thing, you just generally that doesn't happen a whole lot. If you got a shotgun or even a thirty odd six with iron sights, no, like you just pull the trigger, and as long as you pretty much aimed right. It's a powerful enough rifle or gun that it's going to take the deer down. Exactly. You know, like a sucker. You don't even really need to know where muskies are. You just need to put the piece of meat in the water and hope one finds it. Yep. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Which not, again, I think you and I are both super anti-superiority complex with this whole thing. Exactly. So it's hard to like not hear ourselves coming off like that, but in reality, that's not what we're saying. We're not trying to sound conceited or anything like that. We both gear fished a lot. We still gear fish. Um, yeah, there, it, it's just a totally different approach. And I heard you might even start talking. You were talking a little bit this year about you might get back into trolling. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, I listened to a seminar with Brian Klein last. Oh, he's a savage. Last season, and I was really inspired to to try my hand at trolling again he inspired me to go lizard hunting i think did okay. you see that what he was up to this winter i don't know brian yeah, i've never I, met him but i just saw him shooting iguanas in florida i think and that looked kind of crazy and rad all it just it emotionally struck me i kind of want his life to be honest <laughs> <He had> like, <laughs> he's just they, running around doing all sorts of crazy, crazy shit duck hunting oh yeah i know i know we're over here commiserating in a dungeon basement that's all moist and cold about muskies and he's probably killing iguanas right now <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah but that's it i think we nailed all the uh all the main myths i'm sure we'll come up with a few more but um yeah i don't know if I could boil it down to one, I don't know about you, but if I could boil it down, it's we don't musky fly fish to make it any harder. I promise you. I'm, I'm not trying to make it harder. I want to catch muskies. Me too. I think everyone, you know, different strokes for different folks. And uh, back to how we started, like, you're going to know pretty quickly if this is for you. Musky fishing, musky fly fishing, it doesn't really matter. You know pretty quickly. Don't force it. If it takes you, if it takes a hold of you, there's probably a good reason. You're nuts, just like the rest of us. And if it doesn't, you know, there's fantasy football every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous of those cats. They get to sleep in. I know, but have you really heard about food? what? Have you heard about what they do to the, like the guys that take last place? Oh yeah, they make them take the ACT. <laughs> Like, imagine if we did that to each other. We're like, all right, whoever catches the smallest muskie this year, you have to run around Hayward naked. Or you have Challenge to... Challenge <laughs> Wait, we do that anyway. Sorry, Hayward. Isn't that what the Berkey is? Oh, or is that Pretty something much. else? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I think that's it, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Episode two in the books. Josh, Dan, coming to you from the Spot Burn Podcast. Hell yeah. We'll be back. See you next time. See you, folks. Thank you for listening to the Spot Burn Podcast. 
Coming to you from the dungeon, this podcast is presented by Musky Fool Fly Fishing Co. We want to thank our awesome sponsors, Cortland Line Company and Stealth Craft Boats. We also want to thank all of you, our listeners, for tuning in, subscribing, sharing, and spreading the good word. If you haven't heard, go check us out at muskyfool.com. Have fun out there on the water, y'all.